goes on media. This is Coming Out Stories. It's a podcast about one of the most important conversations of your life. I'm Emma Goswell. You'll now hear from Owen Wynne Evans. He's now a successful TV weatherman who's out and proud. But he grew up in a small town in Carmarthenshire in Wales in the 1990s, where he was taunted for being a camp child. Some people see it as as a journey and they find who they are, you know, later on in their childhood or as they become teenagers. But I think I always kind of knew that I liked men, you know, and liked boys. It's It was never for me anything else other than that, I suppose. And I grew up in a place called Ammonford in southwest Wales. Now, Ammonford is a ex kind of mining town, working mm. class. And when I was growing up there, you know, it was... As many people who have grown up in similar towns would probably tell you, um, it wasn't the easiest place to grow up as a gay man because I didn't have any kind of role models or anyone who I could look up to in in any way, shape or form who identified in the way that I thought Mm. that I identified. Well, I don't want to go down the stereotype of saying we're the only gay in the village, but did it very Mm. much feel like that? Did it feel like you were the only one? Mm. It definitely did. And I think that when I was in school, it was a different time, I suppose. I am 36 now. So going to school in Ammonford, even when I was a, was a teenager, you know, there, there weren't any kind of positive LGBTQ role models who I could speak of anyway, who were either in kind of pop music or on TV. You had programmes like Queer as Folk, which definitely shaped the way that I started seeing the outside world and how, you know, gay people were able to kind of exist. And I was like, what is this programme, you know? Who are these gay people? Yeah, Responsible for a lot of people moving to Manchester, I think, that (laughs) OI. I think you're right there, Emma, definitely. And I think it, you know, for me, hundreds of miles away in Ammonford, I was like, where is this place? Take me there immediately. Um, If you were going to school in the 1990s, I guess it would mm. still be in the sort of tail end of the effects of Section 28 in terms of teachers wouldn't have really mentioned LGBT issues in school, would they? People didn't talk about it. Absolutely. Just didn't talk about it. If I wanted to speak about it, I didn't know who to turn to or who to speak to because, number one, you didn't know who you could trust and, number two, it just seemed very new and and you feel like you're on your own, don't you? And I know Mm. that I'm not alone in feeling that because there are loads of people Mm. who were in this situation, but it was very, very strange. It took a long time for me to kind of accept that that's who I was. And I don't know if you felt like this at all, but I kind of felt that because I grew up at that time that I missed out on a lot of stuff like going to parties and going to I don't know bars or pubs and stuff and doing the things that a lot of people in their late teens were perhaps doing but because I felt like I was hiding this big thing that was just not part of my life and it's really sad. Well, I certainly didn't miss out on parties and drinking. I was a big underage drinker. <laughs> but the less said about that, the better. What, yeah, was there a absolutely. Sense, what, was there a sense then, do you think, that other people picked up on your different differentness mm. and, and treated you differently then? And it sounds like they might have ostracised you a bit then. Yeah, I think so. It was very strange for me because I, um, I hate to say boyish. I absolutely hate to say that. But mm. I was doing things that I think a lot of people considered quite boyish in that I was a drummer I used to ride like 
motorbikes on my friend's farm, all of these things. But I was also quite a camp child. Mm. So I don't know if people spent a lot of time thinking about it, to be honest, Emma. But, you know, certainly in school, there were some times where I was called names and that sort of thing. But, you know, we've all been there, haven't we? Mm. But I think perhaps because I was a drummer and I was in lots of different bands in school, that kind of, in a way, made me a little bit more cool, dare I say it. You're, Although... you're definitely cool, Owen. I've seen your drumming <laughs> oh, on Twitter. You're very good, oh actually. Well, darling, if you would have seen my hairstyles when I was in school, I was definitely not cool. Yeah, but, but it was the 90s. You probably had curtains, didn't you, which are awful I did. in any era. Absolutely. <laughs> but I guess it was cool then, wasn't it? So maybe I yeah, was, was super cool, actually, Emma. Yeah, I mean, look at boys, though, and they have terrible hair. But, you know, that's what people that's had true. in the 90s. God. You've made me realise that actually I was a super cool child. <laughs> <laughs> so while, while you were at school, you sort of worked this out for yourself then, it sounds like. Mm. You knew that you were a gay man. Did you ever articulate this? Could you ever? Did you ever feel brave enough to tell anyone else at school? Not really, not when I was in school. I just thought that it, it just wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't happen and I wouldn't be able to come out. And I, I don't know when I thought that that would happen, but just as I left school... I got a job with the BBC. It wasn't, this was never the plan for me because the intention was to leave school and then because I was doing the drumming, I really wanted to become a a professional drummer. Phil Collins. Phil Collins, exactly. I was doing a little bit of that kind of work in bands and stuff and I was helping some people who needed like drum tracks put down in studios and all that stuff. So Mm. it was fun. But there were two delights of mine, one of which was drumming and the other was stage lighting. And I actually went to uh, university in Carmarthen to study theatre design and lighting. But the course wasn't for me. So I thought, you know what? No, I'm going to drop out. And then the plan was to get the grades up on the drums. Now, this is when I'd kind of started thinking about coming out because I was suddenly in a kind of university-esque situation. Hmm. And I told one or two of my friends and they were all pretty much super supportive. Some of my friends who, even many, many years later, the conversation came up and, you know, religion is such a a weird thing, isn't it? And some of my friends basically told me that this wasn't right and that, you know, I was going to be punished or blah, blah, blah. Really? And this was at college in Carmarthen, yeah. These were actually school friends. But it's weird, you know, and, and I felt for a little while then that I was treated like the the fun little gay, you know, who people could wheel out for fun, perhaps, and put back in a box when it was deemed inappropriate because it didn't fit in line with what they believed in religiously. But then I came out to my parents and they found it difficult because, well, I suppose, you know, like me, there were no gay people, Emma. You know, mm, there were no, no gay people in Ammonford. It was just they, like... They didn't have any reference point, did they? So can, can, you remember how, can you remember the moment? Did you sit them down? Did you call them? How did you do it? Yeah, I um, I told my mother first. In hindsight, actually, she was, she was actually okay. She did find it difficult. And then she told my father because I didn't... I just didn't want to tell him. Um, and my father is the loveliest man in the world. Like, he's mm. not a, he's not an aggressive man. You know, he's not nasty. He's Both of my parents are the loveliest people you could ever imagine. And it took them a bit of time. But now my, my parents are 
hugely important in my life. They always have been. When Aaron and I got married, you know, my mother oh, kind spo- of walked... spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Oh, spoiler <laughs> Happy alert. Happy ending, sorry. spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Oh, no, it skipped right to the end. <laughs> when um, Aaron and I got married, my mother walked me in. Aaron's mother walked him in and my father oh. kind of witnessed the um, thing being signed. So, you know, they are hugely important in our lives and they, they love Aaron and I. But of course, it was hard for them at the beginning because all of a sudden they were, you know, we were a working class family. We didn't have very much money. And this whole thing was completely alien, really. Um, And it was very difficult. But I told my brother and my brother is a mechanic and it's very strange, isn't it? I thought that he would find it harder than everybody Mm. else. But he was actually amazing. And he would take me to gay bars in Swansea. And the first introduction to gay bars was through my brother, Reese. Reese is straight. And he would take me to these places and, you know, see if I wanted to go to these kind of places that were safe for me to go to. And, um, yeah, was very supportive and brilliant. So it's very strange how things turn out differently to what you imagine, isn't it? It's interesting, isn't it? A lot of people say that, mm. that sometimes, particularly I've heard trans people say this, actually, you can write a list of who you think is going to accept it and who isn't, and you might as well turn it upside down or rip it up because, you know, people always surprise you, actually. Um, yeah, usually so usually strange. in a good way. Um, more importantly, I've now discovered that there are, in fact, gay bars in Swansea. Who knew? Well, yes, absolutely. Oh, darling, honestly, it was quite the hub at one stage. Was it? Um, well, I don't know. Maybe that's pushing it a bit too far. Um, <laughs> there was a place called H2O, which was, uh, as the name suggests, near the waterfront. And now that's closed down, unfortunately. And I think it's a Mm. Chinese buffet-type place. (laughs) Oh, God. Um, But it was such a weird place, Emma, because it was like a red brick building that was part of an apartment complex near the water. Mm. And I don't know what they did to the place, but it must have been soundproofed very well. Because from the outside, you could see all these windows which had been painted black on the inside. That's obviously where the club was. Mm. But then right next to these windows were people's apartments. I imagine that H2O probably brought down the value of those flats quite a lot when it was in operation. <laughs> I bet, I bet. So you said your parents took a, a while to sort of come round. How, how long? Because I think the kind of the reason that I wanted to do this podcast and why, mm. you know, I, I think people find it really reassuring to listen is that even if they have a tough time with their parents, that actually hearing all these stories where people are, you know, really struggle at the beginning, they do come around in the end, don't they? So how long a process oh, was, it, was it Was it for yours? I, I think it probably took a couple of years to get to a stage where we could kind of talk about it in a very open fashion, I suppose. And maybe one of the catalysts for that was when I got my first kind of serious boyfriend. You know, they got on well with him and it was all kind of okay. It just kept on getting better then. And in no time at all, it wasn't even an issue. This is the thing I think that I would tell anyone who's listening, if they are finding it difficult, you know, with their parents finding it hard with them coming out or whatever that these things do take time and I suppose some people might never fully want to understand it or want to accept it and ultimately that's their loss isn't it because I think Mm. what my parents saw and they saw this very quickly they were like well okay this is a shock this is not what we were expecting at all but at the same time he is still Owain he is still our son Mm. And it doesn't change you, does it? People think that sometimes when you come out, this is a decision you've made and that you've decided to be gay, which is absolutely not true. I don't fully understand that. I mean, who would choose Mm. it, frankly? Yeah. You know, particularly historically. 
It's a blooming nightmare sometimes. It's hard work being gay. I, I agree. And, you know, if I was not gay, my, my life would have been much easier earlier on. Mm. 100% in Ammonford. You know, I wouldn't have had all these demons. I wouldn't have been worrying about all of this stuff that I was worrying about. And mm. now, oh my God, I wouldn't change it for the world, of course, because I'm married. I've got an amazing husband. We have a great life together. But, you know, early on, it can be really difficult. I don't think time is a healer, but I think time does make people come around sometimes. So it does make people mm. realise what the situation really is. And what about your work? Have you had any sort of issues mm. coming out of work? Have you always chosen to be out at work or has that been a bit of a gradual burner as well? It was very strange for me when I first started working because I told you earlier about the whole interest in lighting and the drumming yeah. as well. Well, the plan was to take a year out to get my grades up on the drums and then as a result, be able to study percussion studies in Cardiff. Yeah. But in the meantime, a friend of mine, Sam, who is still one of my best friends, Sam and Joe, they're two sisters from Swansea and they are just absolute darlings. Aww. Their mother, Anne, was basically keeping an eye open for jobs for me. And she saw this job advertised with BBC Wales where they were looking for a presenter for a new children's news programme. And it's essentially the Welsh version of Newsround. So Anne sent this cutting on to me and said, you should apply for this. So I did. And I went to the screen test. And oh my God, Emma, it was horrendous. Because Why? not only did I tip water over the set, but I swore... And this was a children's programme, remember? Oh, um, my God. But they must have seen something and they gave me the job. So wow. I, yeah, so I then became the, I think, second youngest ever staff BBC presenter. Oh, I certainly was at the time. Um, after Yvette Fielding, because I was like, eight, I just turned 18 and I had this staff presenting job. Wow. Which doesn't, re doesn't really happen anymore. No, um, it doesn't. Yeah, so the programme was called File. It was the Welsh version of Newsround. Very similar in format, a news programme for kids. And it was amazing because this was in the kind of early 2000s hmm. when everything was very different in TV. You know, we had four, five TV channels. It was a massive studio full of these like amazing cameras and it just all felt very kind of showbiz and being pro propelled from Ammonford, working class Ammonford, to this TV studio where I was presenting this programme every day live was very bizarre, let me tell you. But being gay and being part of that was quite strange. I was lucky that the two producers of the programme, two amazing people called Johan Kidd and Rianne James, were the, the, the best TV producers you could possibly imagine. Not only did they know their audience inside out, they knew how to put a great programme together every day from scratch, but they were also very aware that you have to look after people in TV because sometimes it's not mm. a nice place or whatever. So I felt fully supported by Johan and Rian. And when I came out to them a while afterwards, actually, they sort of laughed and they were like, they had just kind of assumed that I was gay, but we never spoke <laughs> about it, you know? It oh, was yeah. like, well, who cares? I'm guessing as careers go, um, mm. TV is fairly um, all-encompassing and fairly welcoming to the LGBT families, and it's one of the creative fields. Yeah. So I'd imagine there's quite a lot of quite a lot of gays in radio. There's quite a lot of gays in TV. Yeah, there are a lot of gays in TV. I agree, and I think that maybe made me feel a little bit better. But then at the same time, there were instances where I was working on other things, not that program, and not for that company, where I was told to kind of 
hide my sexuality and not talk about it. So I kind of felt that at one stage I was welcomed, you know, with open arms by Johan and Rian, who were amazing people on the file programme at BBC Wales. But then at other times, you know, a couple of years down the line, I was reminded, do you know what, actually, we're not quite there yet still. And this would be in 2005, six and beyond. It wasn't possible then for you to come out publicly and be gay as a children's TV presenter. No, and I think Mm. that was it. You know, I think as a children's TV presenter, even though I was presenting news, so Mm. I wasn't, you know, jumping around in ball pools or getting covered in gunge, (laughs) that sort of thing. Um, There's still time, (laughs) There's still time, darling, exactly. I think that's the next step for Northwest tonight, actually. Um, I think that I did get some reminders that not all people thought that being gay was okay. We're much better now, I think. We're getting to a place now where it is better, but... You know, you, I'm sure you get the same, Emma, every now and then. People do remind me on Twitter that not everybody thinks that this is okay. Yeah, I think we're seeing less and less of that now. But Very few and far would... between. But yeah, you're right. Mm. As soon as you put yourself in the public eye, I've had the odd tweet or text from listeners, shall we say. Oh, I had one memorable one. Someone decided to text the station that I was working for telling me I was a pervert. This was only a couple of really? years ago. I mean, wow. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but as you say, it is fewer and further in between, thank goodness. So do you feel oh, quite happy absolutely. being out and proud as a gay man in the workplace now? Yes, yes, I do, definitely. And I think that there are small things that we can do sometimes, aren't there, to kind of help others in in this sense if you Hmm. are a broadcaster perhaps or if you're in the public eye in this way and I'm in no way someone who flies the flag on a daily basis but one thing that is lovely about this job is number one how supportive BBC have been to me BBC um, Yorkshire when I worked for Look North and also BBC Northwest Tonight now who are just brilliant you know they want to kind of embrace it and they and they want to kind of well it's you isn't it you can't change yourself mm. and I feel like finally we're, we're at this place where it's not even an issue anymore it's interesting how it's led to different things I've done a lot of hosting pride events over the years and as you know I love RuPaul's Drag Race so it's strange how things lead to different things and I did this forecast three years ago where I included a load of drag queen names and I did it because it was like International Drag Day. Who the hell thought that was even a day? But oh, I didn't is. even know that, Owen. Thank you for enlightening oh me. My God. Well, listen, it, it's a day to celebrate, darling. It mm. really is. So I thought, you know, I'm, I always do little weather forecasts for Pride events and then I'm hosting them and I try to be involved in the LGBTQ community where and when I can. Mm. But I did this weather forecast, which was basically like a load of drag queen names shoehorned into an actual meteorologically accurate weather forecast. And um, it went viral. RuPaul picked up on it. World of Wonder picked up on it. And um, it's strange how being able to embrace who I am now and what I like has also led to some really weird opportunities, you know. Mm. Have you Um, met RuPaul yet then? I haven't. That is definitely on the list of things that I absolutely need to do. 
That has to happen. <laughs> it has to happen, darling. Absolutely, darling. So let's get some advice off you then, because you've gone on to be very successful and out and proud and gay. But you know, Thank there you, was a, there was a time when uh, you know teenage Owen wasn't living the, his best life and really struggled a mm. bit by the sounds of it. So, what words of wisdom would you give to to other people that have yet to go, you know, a bit further down their journey in terms of coming out? I'd say that it's it's okay, number one, and it's it might be difficult. Absolutely. But surround yourself or try to surround yourself with people who you trust and people who love you. And some people are going to find it really hard. And that's okay. And some people might not want to speak to you again. That's okay as well, because quite frankly, it's their loss, darling. I just think that this is you. You are who you are and you can't change it. And, And why should you have to try and cover it up? I know it's probably easier for me to say that because I work in TV in the kind of entertainment industry where, as you said, it's more kind of welcoming. But yeah, just that it'll be okay in the end, I suppose. So the thing is, you have come a long way on your journey, haven't you, Ayn? So being in the yeah. public eye, as well as those sometimes the nasty tweets, you, you must get mm. people who look up to you or people that ask you for advice all the time. Do you, do you get a lot of people from the LGBT community approaching you? Mm. I get so many nice messages. It's amazing. And actually, I'm always surprised and I don't know why I should be surprised. Maybe I get less surprised by it now. Mm. But when I was, I think it was York Pride last year, actually, I was hosting and this young guy came up to me and he must have been, I don't know, about 15, something like that. And he just said, "Um, I just wanted to say thank you that I love watching you present in the weather and that you're just yourself. And... (laughs) That is amazing. And like, to me, that is the biggest kind of compliment is the wrong word. But it's just nice to know that in some way, me just doing my job and yes, being unapologetically flamboyant and maybe sometimes mentioning Aaron on air or, you know, calling Roger Johnson, Roger Darling, you know, and bringing this level (laughs) of camp into, you know, presenting that people do appreciate that because we have on a national level a lot of kind of high profile LGBT people but on a regional news level I think it's harder sometimes number one to get personality across because it's about news and not personality ultimately Mm. but people do really appreciate just that visibility I think Emma well, of course they do. Well, just think what you were saying literally 15 minutes ago when you were growing yeah. up in, you know, a small village in Wales. Yeah. You didn't have any of those role models. And just the more people that are on our screens or on our radio on a daily basis, it just normalises it, doesn't it? I mean, if you think about Absolutely. it, you are in the living rooms of, you know, hundreds of thousands of people every mm-hmm. night on their small screen. There'll be young kids watching you do the weather in front of their parents and just having someone that is a bit flamboyant and a bit camp and obviously get on the screen it can be just a conversation opener can't it you know that's, it can ju- that's right. just just normalizes gay people doesn't it absolutely and, and that's you know that's great and i'm surprised sometimes by you know i get lovely messages of people on twitter and sometimes i click through and look at their profiles and sometimes i'm really surprised at the kind of people who actually like me you know i'm like <laughs> this is really bizarre like this but that's my own stereotypical view of people i guess isn't it you know but it's really nice that people seem to enjoy what i do and that the gay thing isn't even an an issue so yeah that is really lovely 
It's not. And if you haven't seen um, Owain, do his weather forecasts um, because you don't live in the northwest (laughs) of England. Because we do have international listeners, Owain, obviously. wonderful. Um, Please follow Owain on Twitter because you do do brilliantly. I mean, you might not be interested in what the weather's doing in (laughs) Manchester or Liverpool. It's worth going to watch Owain just do his thing. So I would recommend following you on Twitter wholeheartedly. Remind people of your handle. So it's at Owain Win Evans. A massive thank you to Owain, and if you are looking for him on Twitter, please be aware it's spelled O-W-A-I-N. You'll find him on Twitter. Oh, and do go and have a look, because since we spoke, he's also gone viral for his drumming to the BBC News theme. It's brilliant. He's a very talented boy. Go and have a look. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from, and we'd also really appreciate it if you'd find the time to leave us a rating or a review. To find out more about coming out stories, ask us a question, or even offer your own story for an interview, you can follow us on Twitter at Come Out Stories or at Coming Out Stories Pod on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Emma Goldswell, and Coming Out Stories is edited by Sam Walker and is a What Goes On Media production. In the next episode, you'll hear from Rachel. She identifies as being partially gender fluid or a cross dresser. In the 1980s, she used to order clothes and shoes from what was referred to then as a transvestite catalogue. Well, the family found out about her secret when her brother opened her post. My mum was doing the ironing, and when I walked in, she says, we need to talk. So my mum and dad had had obviously seen the catalogue. She said to me, you know, gather all your clothes and your magazines and just put them in bin liners and throw them in the bin, and I'll come upstairs later and we'll talk. All of the clothing I'd I'd bought at that stage, yeah, all went in the bin.